You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. So anytime we have a lectionary passage that starts with the next day, I find it helpful to find out what happened on the previous day. In general, it's beneficial, right, to root an excerpt in its broader source, whether we're reading scripture or something else. There are especially around MLK Day, lots of quotes floating around uh, that if people read the next sentence or two, they might not post. Um, So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at what happened. We are in uh, John chapter 1, a chapter that is filled with a lot of weird uh, and important content. So much happens in this, um, but most famously, we have these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. That is absolute poetry. If you wonder why each week our benediction includes embrace beauty, this is one of thousands of examples of beautiful art in the Bible. Theology itself is a form of art. Interpretation is a work of art. Beauty surrounds us and we are made in the image of a creator, God. So from the introduction our author moves the story into that of John the Baptist. Then we move on to Jesus's baptism and finally to the call of the first disciples, the 12, as they are known. Capital T, always, right? I even capitalized it in my notes, like you guys are gonna know that. (laughs) This text today is part two of the calling that had earlier on the previous day brought Peter and Andrew on board. In just a few verses, we already have a million questions. Why is Nathaniel so freaking judgy about people from Nazareth? Just what was he doing under that tree? We have Jesus's bait and switch of, I saw you under the fig tree and that's the reason you believe me? Did heaven actually open? Inquiring minds are dying to know. Did angels ever ascend and descend upon the Son of Man? And if so, does that mean that angels are actually super, super tiny? So, so, so many weird questions, questions you might not have had. And yet, when I read the call story here in John, in Matthew, in Mark, or in Luke— It's not these questions that keep me up at night. I am not an awards show girly. Do you have any awards show people in here? Love it. No judgment. It's just not my scene. Um, Probably because if I, I can't stream TV from 20 years ago, I'm not interested. There is a 10 out of 10 chance That if you ask me what the difference is between the Golden Globes, the Emmys, the Oscars, the Grammys, I will absolutely answer you incorrectly. 
Um, but courtesy of social media, I did hear part of the opening monologue of the 2024 Golden Globes that took place last weekend. I will quote it to you here. Oppenheimer is based on a 721-page Pulitzer Prize-winning book about the Manhattan Project. And Barbie is based on a plastic doll with big dot, dot, dot. Pro tip, if you don't know the word that comes next in that sentence, don't Google it because it's going to get weird. Um, ask a friend and they will fill you in. And while I do know enough about award shows to know that the MC is supposed to be funny, uh, supposed to be controversial, um, the timing was difficult for me as I prepared to preach on the origin story of the 12, capital T. So, that we may suffer together, I will pose to you today a question that has been posed to me more times than I care to count. Where are the women? Perhaps even more salient questions are, where are the women who mattered enough to be recorded? Where are the women who count? The people who have raised these questions to me have historically fallen into one of two categories. The first, uh, my days as a youth pastor, high school girls who were trying to root themselves in a narrative that on first pass does not seem to have a place for them. And the second group, men who were trying to assert dominance and superiority as a divine right and often in opposition to uh, the, little, the little word pastor, um, that sometimes precedes my name. I will let you guess which group I prefer. Every marginalized group asks these questions because we don't see ourselves in the men Jesus chose. Every marginalized group has a handful of carefully curated examples from Scripture that we cling to, we hold on to in an effort to believe that Maybe the way we're doing church might be wrong. And the words of Paul in Galatians, all are one in Christ, are actually true. We have to ask these questions. Where are the women? Where are the queer folks? Because we still live in a society that delegitimizes the highest grossing movie of 2023 the 11th highest grossing movie of all time because it was a movie made by women, primarily for women. This movie, and I get that I'm late to the party talking about it, uh, had evangelical pastors taking bats to Barbie dream houses during their sermons, lighting Barbies on fire and letting them melt in front of children, calling a doll demonic, I will spare you the rant that I watched because I did not know how to respond as this 80-year-old uh, pastor railed against parents who might let their children watch this and the things that they would invite into their home. It was a laugh or cry moment. So we have to ask the questions. As a congregation whose hope is to actively seek dismantling privilege in order to dismantle inequity and injustice. It's important that we dig into the demographic of the 12 and be really honest about it 
so that perhaps we can have a more compelling answer than that which many of us have been handed when we sat with our youth pastors. Well, that's just the way it was. We need theology. We need theology that advocates and contextualizes and calls for reform. Theology that embraces the beauty and the art of interpretation that doesn't devolve into a one-to-one application of scripture or into a kind of toxic nationalism that allows yet another mother and her children to die at our border. So let's talk about the 12 and let's answer the questions together. Where are the women who mattered Where are the women who count? And then let's take those answers and apply them broadly, expand our theology to include anyone who would look to Jesus as a source of strength, as a plumb line, as someone who will help us do the work of the kingdom on this earth. So there are three things I want us to understand as a congregation today. First, women were there. Of course, women were there. I could give you the list that I personally cling to as a female pastor, as a woman in the world, as a woman who is trying to hold on to a faith that doesn't always want to hold me back. But instead, I'd invite you to do some research and some reading. There are remarkable women all throughout Scripture women that don't necessarily call to mind when we read the Bible through the societal lens of patriarchy. Deconstructing patriarchy means we deconstruct the perspective of a primarily male biblical author set and see their female characters as rich and full and autonomous and incredible. Throughout the Old Testament in particular, men are often wrote about as larger-than-life heroes who occasionally make mistakes. But it's fine, because what's murder if you're a man after God's own heart? When we uncover and untangle power dynamics and systems of oppression, the owning of other humans, when we take into consideration shame and honor culture, there is so much potential to read the stories of the women of the Bible with compassion and admiration and acknowledgement. We can acknowledge their faith in a system that was not set up for them. We can admire their resiliency in a system that they shouldn't have had to be. We can acknowledge their crucial roles in the story of God and their participation in the discipleship of Jesus. Second, Even though the 12 disciples were men, there was massive diversity. There was competition, and there was just straight-up opposition in the group. We're going to talk about some of the dynamics that uh, you don't think of when you just do a cursory reading. So let's take the brothers, right? We've got two sets of brothers in the disciples. We have James and John. They are brothers who owned a fishing business. We have Peter and Andrew brothers who owned a fishing business. And so, yeah, okay, there's no diversity there, right? Four guys doing their thing, doing the same thing. 
Except how would you feel if your competition set up their shop on the same shore as you and fished the same waters as you? Probably not so good. That might not seem like a big deal, uh, but I bet you some tempers flared when James and John's mom went to Jesus and asked if her precious baby boys could be the ones that had the most prominent place in the kingdom next to Jesus. I wonder if the rivalry popped up a little bit there. Then we have Matthew, a tax collector, a white-collar criminal who exploited his own people, an occupied people on behalf of their occupiers. Matthew is the epitome of working for the enemy. And he gets to be in the group with Simon the Zealot. Now, the Zealots, if you ever come across that in Scripture, is capitalized because it was a formal group. They were Jewish nationalists who despised Roman rule so much that they incited riots. They openly called for political subversion with no limits on what that would take. And here's your PG-13 content warning. So parents, cover small ears if they're around. Sorry, kids. Uh, They were known for slitting the throats of Jews who served Rome. Jews like, oh, I don't know, tax collectors? I bet that was a fun dinner party. And then there's Thomas, who didn't believe Jesus was resurrected, and Judas Iscariot, who didn't believe Jesus at all. And then there was people that we just don't know that much about. But if you've ever been on a committee with five or more people, you know that there was probably some diversity, it's a nice way of saying disagreement, uh, in that group. So what do we do with the fact that this was a disparate uh, hodgepodge of people? Like much of scripture, uh, we take the principle and we go from there. We take the seeds of diversity and we water them and we expand that voice beyond the constraints of gender or non-gender. Third, and perhaps most important, as we talk about call stories, as we talk about the disciples, we all have a call story. Each and every one of us. Are ours immortalized in the pages of a religious text? No, thank God. Could you imagine? Mm, That is my worst nightmare. Uh, Zero out of five stars on that one for me to have my life, uh, good, bad, and ugly, written and read about for centuries. But does being a woman or being queer, does ethnicity or culture or marital status or age or financial means or any other factor change the reality that God wants to work in your life and through your life? Absolutely not. God works in your life because of who you are. Never, ever, 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 ever in spite of it. Hear me on that, please. God is working in your life because of who you are because of your identity, because of your uniqueness, and never in spite of those things. There is not a single person in this room who is excluded from having a call story. 
It's going to take all of us. It takes all of us working together to understand what a just and equitable society looks like, what true peace looks like for everyone. Every voice, every perspective. So just what was Nathaniel doing under the tree? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, and honestly, it's probably better. Um, it would be really fun to do like a doodle poll and just collect responses on what that man was doing under a fig tree. But I do hope that in lieu of that answer, you've found some answers that are important, that they matter because you matter. Now, gentlemen in the room, if you were thinking today was a really lovely sermon and man, Andy is hilarious, I get it. Um, If you're sitting there thinking this was helpful, but I'm not so sure what it has to do with me, let me tell you. You have access to spaces I, as a woman, never will. And you have people who will listen to you who would never listen to me. So your job is to use your voice, to use your privilege and your influence to counter the idea that somehow women, somehow gender non-conforming or queer people don't belong in every space that's accessible in the church, in society, right? Like, let's just be real, in society. But let's start here. And I understand that's inviting some discomfort because I have sat around the Thanksgiving table when I had to shut down racist comments, jokes that were not supposed to be harmful but were. I know what that feels like. But I'll never be able to access some of the spaces that you do to do that work. And so we are asking you and trusting you. We are placing our hope in your willingness to speak where we're not able, where our voices aren't welcomed. That's why I say we all have a call. Everyone in this room, we have the work to do of the kingdom so that the ways of the kingdom go out from here. UBC, may we ask questions of the text that challenge assumptions, especially when those assumptions exclude. May we do the work to understand, recognizing that interpretation is an art, seldom a science. May we hear and heed the call of the spirit that we all carry the call to carry the narrative of divine love in our hearts and in our communities so that we are remaking society in the ways of the kingdom and not the other way around. Now we get to spend some time inviting God to speak to us, perhaps uh, remind us of something, sow something deep uh, that we heard and we don't want to forget or correct what I said incorrectly, which is always a possibility. This is a gift that we share together and may we use it uh, to glorify uh, the way of divine love among us.